Good morning. Today is Friday, September 16th. You're listening to Thy Strong Word. This is the program where each weekday morning we explore the Holy Scriptures through which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. What a great day to gather around God's Word. So thank you for listening, whether over the air, online, maybe you use that KFUO app or you listen as a podcast. No matter how you tune in, I'm just glad you're here. So settle in, open your hearts and your minds. We're about to begin. Now, Thy Strong Word is underwritten by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Check them out at lhfmissions.org. Now, today is Friday, and every Friday, I'm starting the show by pulling from the listener mailbag. This is only our second time doing it, but I like to share some of your comments and answer your questions live on the air. Well, no questions today, but we have some listener comments. So I reached into the old email bag, and the first is from Bill. Bill writes, I regularly listen to Thy Strong Word on Apple Podcasts here in Baguio City, Philippines. Thank you for sharing our Lord's teaching with us. We worship at St. Stephen Lutheran Church in Baguio City. Have a blessed day. Peace in Christ. Thank you, Bill, for taking the time to write into the show and for your faithfulness. I hope I pronounced that city right, but it's wonderful to know that you're listening all the way from the Philippines and hopefully sharing this uh, the podcast, in your case, with those in that congregation. Now, just one more, and this time it's from Joe. Joe says, I just wanted to stop by and welcome you as Thy Strong Word's newest host. I've been listening to the show since Pastor Whedon was the host. I moved to North Carolina in 2001. My parents live in Waynesville. That's where I live for a time. That's why he mentions it. So my ears perked up when you had guest guest pastors Green, who's the former pastor of the church in Clyde, and Pastor Daub, who's at St. Paul in Havelock, North Carolina, on the show. But I really enjoyed hearing your father call into the show to share his story and participate in the Bible study. In a short time, you've been a blessing to me, and I'm sure countless others on the radio and Internet keep up the great work. Thank you, Bill. North Carolina is my home state. And you mentioned Pastor John Green. Uh, that was my very first Lutheran pastor at my very first Lutheran church, Our Savior in Clyde. I was blessed to have him on the show. Pastor Daub is a great pastor and a good friend, too, also in North Carolina. Thanks for writing in. So, dear listener, if you have questions or comments about today's show, maybe you want your comments featured on the air, too, or you just want to say hi, email me at pastorboo at gmail.com. And if you, too, want to call in, maybe share your story with us or participate in the study, we're live today. So call in with your comments or questions at 800-730-2727. Well, getting to the topic at hand, we are in 1 Corinthians, and now we'll be taking up chapter 6. Corinth was a monument to Greco-Roman culture, and listen, there were some virtuous aspects to Greek and Roman culture, some that's lasted even to today. But there were so many things that were just not consistent with the Christian faith. And one of these aspects was about how to handle disputes. In particular, should the church be going to the unrighteous world to seek resolution between believers? Could they not handle minor things amongst themselves and at the same time protect the reputation of the church? 
Well, Paul has some things to say about that. And so this morning, chapter 6, verses 1 through 11 will be our focus. And to help us navigate and apply this text, I'm pleased to welcome to the show the Reverend David Boisclair. He's the pastor of Faith and Bethesda Lutheran Churches in Pine Lawn, Missouri. Pastor Boisclair, welcome back to Thy Strong Word. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be on the air with you, and uh, or or on a podcast or anything, and to study the Word of God, which is uh, our lifeline to the Lord. It's amazing how technology has expanded our reach into the world. KFUO rightly calls itself Worldwide KFUO because not only does its broadcast signal go all over the metropolitan St. Louis area. Its reach through things like podcasts and live streams online and the KFUO app really help get the Word of God out into all the corners of the world. It's just an amazing ministry. I'm happy to be a part of it. I'm glad that you've been a part of it for a while, and I'm glad to have you back on Thy Strong Word. It's been a little while. How are things going for you down in Pine Lawn? Well, uh Things are uh, things are a changing, uh, uh, and um, you know we're again we're going to be able to adapt uh, the the work of the ministry in many areas, uh, trying to reach as many people as we possibly can and do the do um, the Lord's work. And so it's a challenge. It's it's kind of a challenge because um, you know a lot of our churches are are not not as as uh, full as they used to be, and um, and and you know it's just just many different things. But uh, like I say, we we're we're sometimes we're knocked down, but we're not knocked out. <laughs> That's right. Well, the Lord promises to be with us. We we grow where we're planted, so to speak. And as Paul said, you know, God gives the growth, and so we keep our eyes focused on Him and His mission. And whether you know whether we're small or large, whether we can see the impact that we have or we don't, we know that God's word doesn't return to Him empty. And so we're just yeah, we're just grateful to be a part of the process. I think at least that's how I feel, brother. Brother, I'm sure you do too. Absolutely. Well, so today's we're, we're we're in First Corinthians six. Uh, I, I think on my email it said First Corinthians sixteen, but uh, I, I I'm perfectly ready for whatever whatever we're we're studying. Oh no! Today. <laughs> yeah, we have not gotten as far as sixteen today. We are in six. This is the section about lawsuits against believers. And I think that the text is pretty straightforward enough with your uh, experience, I'm sure, in the past with this and with your uh, pastoral acumen. We're not going to have any trouble getting through this, but I apologize that you had the wrong text there. That's no good. Uh, Well, I I actually like this text better. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's that's good. That's good because, you know, this one applies. I don't recall offhand exactly what 16 is um, dealing with, but this text I think it has a lot to say about our culture today and how we can interact with the world. Now, it, it's found right in between Paul's argument. In chapter 5, he's talking about how they failed to judge a man in their midst who was involved in a incestuous sexual relationship. And then immediately following the section that we are going to cover today, he digs in more about sexual immorality and how they shouldn't be involved with that. And right here in the middle, it almost seems out of place because it starts talking about disputes and lawsuits with each other. But it really isn't out of place because it all boils down to judging one another. So are we to judge the fellow believer? Are we to judge the outsider? Paul talks about those things. He makes those distinctions that are so important today. So before we begin, uh, 
Please, Pastor, would you begin our time with a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we're mindful of the day of judgment, whichever, which will be drawing near and, and could be at any moment. And so we pray that you would uh, prepare us by your Holy Spirit with our faith and our love uh, toward you and toward one another. Uh, you've knit us together as the body of Christ, and you've um, grant that uh, when one part uh, feels pain, the other part feels pain as well. Grant that we might see ourselves uh, yeah, as the body of Christ, as as one um, as one nation, a divine nation, or one uh, a body of people that are that are joined together, and that we are part of one another. Uh, grant that you would guide us as as your word gives us instruction about the difficult task of living in this very sinful world. And we pray that uh, you would guide us with your Holy Spirit as we take up uh, these passages of your precious inerrant word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Yes, there is a lot to be said even in this text about our relationship to other Christians. And this is about settling disputes. What is our role in the church with one another when we have grievances against each other? So the text is just a few verses. It's only 11 verses, but I'm going to divide it up. And this side of the break, we're going to do the first eight verses. So I'm going to read from the English Standard Version, beginning with 6 verse 1. When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers, that brother goes to law against brother and that before unbelievers? To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Okay, I cheated a little bit. I did go into the first half of verse 9. It was just really connected to that that block of text there but that is the text on the table for us to look into and so we begin that church tribunals church courts are kind of a thing in the sense that christians should be going before other christians to help settle disputes there's lots of ways christians are all sinners and because we're sinners we 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 find ourselves butting heads with each other on a variety of things and Paul is saying, especially to these Christians, when this happens, why are you just taking each other to court all the time? You're, you're shaming yourselves. You're shaming the church, especially in the presence of unbelievers. These things can be handled amongst each other. So that's how he begins. And I know there's a lot more to it than that. But what do you think, Pastor? You know, wh what's going on in Corinth that you recall or? Or what, what do you think when he says, you know, how do you dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? What's that look like? 
Yeah, it, it, it's interesting. In the Book of Acts, uh, of course, you have the incident uh, where uh, Paul, him, or, or rather, I think it's Paul, or the Christians are taken to the Roman court uh, before uh, the um, uh, Gallio, who, who was the governor, I guess, of, of that, and that, that was able. They were able to establish when Paul was in Corinth the first time because of that, because uh, the, you know it's datable in, in Roman history. Uh, so there was that. There is that uh, um, secular tribunal that that was there uh you know and 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 you know as we can see with uh maybe the jews who opposed christianity they were very much intent on in doing everything they possibly could to hinder the gospel and hinder the um you know the life line that was being thrown to the world by through god through the apostles um in in this case is we you know i think you would you probably would begin a sermon by saying this is a litigious society which means that means people wanting to go to court and suing other people and and and, and in a sense uh, when you when you threaten to sue somebody that's that's considered to be almost as bad as a physical threat against somebody where where you say i'm i'm going to sue you <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then you have to think of, uh, you know, retaining an attorney, and that's not cheap, you know. Uh, so it, it's kind of, it, it really speaks to our own day, because, uh, as I said, uh, people are only too ready to do whatever they can to um, maybe get, take advantage of, of someone else. And, and and what's shocking to the Apostle is that uh, brothers and sisters in Christ are doing this. Yeah, you know, in in our day and age, especially, I think the American culture is known around the world for being very litigious. You only have to watch a little bit of TV to see all these different lawsuit lawyers, tort lawyers, all these things appealing to you to please come and join our class actions or please hire us to sue for to have this wrong uh, righted for you. And there are occasions where going to the secular authorities are necessary. And, we, and I'm sure we'll get into that. In this case, you know, he begins with this reality that there are trivial things that are happening and you're taking each other to court. And this this culture is litigious, very much like our own. And in Corinth, typically, it's also expensive to defend yourself. And so historically, what would be happening is some of the well-to-do people would be taking the less fortunate folks to court all the time. And also being well-to-do, they had the favor of the judges. So there was a lot of abuse of the court system where a someone who was in power could exercise that power over and against those who were the have-nots. And this was something that was happening in Corinth. It was part of Roman culture, and it's seeping into the church like so many other negative aspects of the culture. And so Paul is just offended at this idea. You know, do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by saints, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? And so I see here the first kind of question is, you know, why, why do, how dare we judge others is at the thought of my mind. You know, Paul in chapter four, just a couple of chapters ago, when he's talking about you know him and his 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 ministry as an apostle he says in verse 3 but with me it is a very small thing that i should be judged by any of you or by any human court in fact i do not judge even myself 
for I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. So we get this idea from Paul that the Lord is the judge, and so we cannot judge others because the Lord is the judge. Jesus says, like in Matthew 7, judge not lest ye be judged. James says, who are you to judge your neighbor? God is the lawgiver. You know, there is only one lawgiver and judge, and that's, uh, that's God. But then when we look at 1 Corinthians 5, right, which just precedes this, Paul says he has already passed judgment on this incestual relationship on one member of the congregation. He even commands them to hand this man over to Satan. So he's judged and passed a sentence. Now, we know that that sentence is for the hope that he will return in faith, but he is judged. So what's the deal? What's the deal? Well, the deal here, I would say, and, and I want to hear what you have to think, but it, there is a difference between applying the already declared judgment of God against sins and making up what's sinful and what's not from your own human reason. So on the one hand, Paul says we can't go around judging outsiders because they're not uh, they're not part of our our family. They're not part of our faith. But those who are a part of our faith, we have the law of God, and therefore we have the right to look at one another and say, "You are not living according to the law of God. It's not my judgment. It's God's because He's made it clear." So whether it be sinful actions or even minor disputes. The saints are perfectly equipped to settle these things without having to go to the world who doesn't hold the same standards as we do. I, I think you have a very good grasp of this. Uh, the um, uh, one one thing is, uh, as I remember uh, teaching, and when I first. Uh, became a pastor some 40 years ago. We 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 they'd kind of say, well, pastor, how can you judge people in that way? You know, in other words, Christian through Christian discipline, and and I said, you know, you you have to allow the word of God to to stand firm. This is like the, the cases that are mentioned here are sort of like um, what we would call uh, adiaphora, indifferent. Uh, dis differences. In other words, maybe that uh, your my my neighbor supposedly maybe got a, a goat that used to belong to me, or maybe there's a dispute about the pro a property line, or or um, you know, in other words, in other words, it's not something that uh, is is covered in the Word of God. If the Word of God is clear, as in the case in in chapter five, it was clear that that's that's a sin, and that person needs to undergo Christian discipline. It isn't. It isn't judging as, um, you know, as one shouldn't do. Now, what's in, rather interesting is that the Lord says, "Judge not." Uh, lest you be judged, because then he continues for with the the the, uh, the um, uh, measure that you uh, measure out. In other words, the the standard of judgment that you're that you're using is going to be used against you. Um, and 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 of course, like in in that in that particular case is is. Um, uh, you know, doesn't uh, the Lord says? Well, if you if you do uh, judge somebody, you you should be expected to um, you know maybe suffer the same same thing yourself. But uh, again, 
uh, as we as we read further, uh, you know, as Christians, um, you know, how, why don't we start at the lowest level? You know, if, uh, you know, even in our own synod, uh, we had uh, probably about twenty years ago, we had the the change from a, a litigious type of a process to uh, what they call reconciliation. Let's start from let's see if we can get two brothers uh, and or sisters in Christ together to see if they resolve their differences, and then it, then let it go from there and try to resolve uh, disputes uh, at the lowest level. Yes, I and I think that's important when we consider what Paul's commands here are, that this isn't necessarily saying, well, you, we need to form within the church a church tribunal, a church court, where if you want a legal opinion cited, you have to go into the church court because you're a Christian. I think that also skips over the part that he's emphasizing, and that is the local community, one or two uh, brothers or sisters who have uh, perhaps sinned against one another, and they're trying to decide you know, how to reconcile, bringing in a third party a la Matthew 18, and trying to you know, uh, yeah, reconcile with one another, trying to settle that dispute. So this isn't to sort of outsource this to now a church court, which may or may not be as compromised as the worldly court. Exactly. You know, there is uh, a there is an interesting uh, resource in our own midst uh, called Ambassadors of Reconciliation, which is uh, which is uh, you know having uh, Christians trained in uh, the ability to um, reconcile one another. Uh, you know, and there's there are other different uh, programs as well, but um, it's rather uh, using you know using uh, Matthew 18. Uh, you know, uh, basically. That's the that the Lord Jesus Himself uh, established that, and uh, you know there's there's so much we can learn about uh, you know the manner in which uh, Christians in the first century uh, dealt with problems like this. And they should have already known these things. At least that's what is indicated by the way Paul introduces some of these topics. Now, for the very first time in chapter two, he begins with this phrase. Or do you not know something? And this is first of six times in this chapter alone between today's show and Monday's show. We're going to cover them. So in chapter two, it says, do, or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? Verse three, do you not know that we are to judge angels? And he, he keeps going even to our next, che- uh, next part of today's text. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And so on. So he's appealing not to even new knowledge, but this is Christian teaching. You know, our Lord has taught these things. As an apostle, he has taught these things to them. So it is not as though he's responding to, well, you guys had this one incident where you didn't judge this out. I'm sorry, judge this Christian um, because of his evil behavior and could have secured him in his sinfulness before uh, without actually calling him to repentance. And so now I'm going to come up with something that you should do. He says, no, this is all based on our Christian belief. And there's also something to be said. I read in a uh, one commentary. I think actually, I think it was the uh, Concordia commentary from CPH. And the author there said that there was a, in the Talmud, a dictum that forbade Jewish people from going to law with one another in pagan courts. Uh, one rabbi was quoted as saying, in any place where you find heathen law courts, even though their law is the same as Israelite law, 
You must not resort to them. So there seems to be also a holdover on this idea that, you know, hey, if you're Christian people, don't be washing your dirty linen in public because you're going to make the church a laughingstock. And this particular commentary author, he cited an interesting newspaper headline from actually it was in Brisbane, Australia in the 1920s. And it was about uh, two Lutheran factions who were or who were debating and arguing with each other. And the headline of the paper was, see how they love one another. So when Christians air their disputes, disputes they could handle themselves in the public square, then it diminishes the reality that we will judge the world. And I think that that's a bad witness. Now, there will be certain issues, and we'll get into that, that you know we are unable to decide on our own, or perhaps we are. But for, for, for this context right here, these seem to be pretty petty things, either clearly revealed by God, or as you noted, rightly, adiophron, which can be decided based on what I would say is common, sanctified common sense, right? The Lord has given us his revealed will in those places where it's not neither here nor there. Then, yeah, we have sanctified common sense to employ. And, and and what he does in this text is he's he's saying uh, now think about it uh, my brothers you know th- your fellow brother in Christ or your feather, fellow sister in Christ they will have the competence to judge angels now isn't you know that which is you know I mean just it blows your mind uh, to thinking that they have that type of competence now if they can judge angels how much how much more could they possibly decide uh, you know give you the the right understanding of what's going on in your in your own life um, and um, and and so the other thing is look at the look at your relationship with one another as Christians uh, I mean uh, we're not like people in the world you know that's one thing that the apostle deals with in his epistles is like you know uh, there's there's your relationship with those who are not in Christ and there your is your relationship with those who are in Christ and that person is your brother uh, or your sister uh, is is part of you is a member of you you know in, in other words if 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 uh, they're the ones that are being harmed they're you're only harming yourself kind of an idea yeah absolutely you know that language of do you not know that we are to judge angels is powerful it's connected with verse 2 where it says do you not know the saints will judge the world so when does that happen? When does the judging angels, judging the world, that happen? And very likely it refers to the teaching of the scriptures that say the believers reign with God in, in heaven. Um, Paul said something very similar to in Romans 8. He says that I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. Um, for the creation waits in eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And it goes on to talk about how, you know, Christians in this kingdom of God are, you know, I don't want to use a human term for it, but like administrators of it. You know, we reign with Christ. Uh Peter says very same things, that we partake of the divine human nature and we'll escape the corruption that's in the world. And so, yeah, the, the at the end, we think about reigning with Christ, judging the world, judging angels, 
if this is your call, dear brothers and sisters, Paul is saying, then how can, why are you taking each other to court over these petty things, petty things before possibly unrighteous judges who are just going to rule in ways that either favor them or their friends? It just doesn't make any sense, he says. Exactly. And, and I think you also said that, that there are times when uh, Christians have to avail themselves of, uh, you know, secular courts um, for, for one reason or another, perhaps even to establish the truth. I mean, we've, we've had a, a court uh, case uh, for, for a, a, a church here in Missouri that went all the way up to the Supreme Court uh, about, uh, you know, that there were, there were civil authorities that were, were trying to defraud a congregation. And, uh, you know, it was necessary to, to um, go to court. Uh, you know, and in, 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 in at least as Americans, we have the right to equal justice under the law. When you have uh, civil authorities which are who are persecuting our church, or that that are, uh, you know, going with policies that that undermine, uh, you know, the, the existence of Christianity, then then we have to uh, stand to it. And, and and well, look at Paul. He he uh, declared that he was a Roman citizen and he wanted to be judged by the emperor. He appealed to Caesar. So there you go. There you have uh, maybe a good, um, uh, you know, a range of where where you should and where you shouldn't use uh, civil authorities. Precisely, Paul was not afraid of using the civil authorities when that when that was uh, required. You know, if it's a situation that simply cannot be decided amongst Christians, either because well, there's no competence there. Because sometimes there is no competence. If if you were trying to decide something about that, uh, something that had to do with uh, things that were outside your experience, then yeah, you're going to have trouble. You're going to have trouble making decisions on those. But when it comes to the life of faith and our life together, then we definitely want to make sure we uh, put ourselves under the authority of scriptures and judge uh, accordingly. Uh, brother, we're right up against a break, so I'm going to pause for just a few moments, and we're going to listen to these messages. Dear listener, don't go anywhere. We're going to be back in just a moment, and we're going to continue our discussion of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo. With me today is the Reverend David Boisclair, pastor of Faith and Bethesda Lutheran Churches in Pine Lawn, Missouri. Before the break, brother, um, we were talking about lawsuits between believers, and we mentioned how Paul himself had, you know, appealed to Roman law to defend 
the Christian uh, way that he was really in defense of his ability to proclaim the gospel. So he appeals to to the non-Christians, the Roman authorities to make decisions in these cases and elsewhere, especially in Romans chapter 13, as we talked about last uh, topic on this show and has been a topic of conversation over the past few years about the Christian's responsibility to be in submission to authorities and where the extent of that lies. He holds the authorities as, you know, ministers of God and accountable to God. So, you know, Christians must obey and appeal to them when it is proper. So this isn't to suggest that under no circumstance at all may a Christian or a uh, believer go to court but there still is some idea of should you take other Christians to court? Is that the proper area? Again, from the commentary, the Concordia commentary, I just want to bring out that he quotes Luther's sermon on the Sermon on the Mount. And Luther says this. Now, if someone asks whether a Christian may go to court or defend himself, the answer is simply no. A Christian is the kind of person who has nothing to do with this sort of secular existence and law. He belongs to a kingdom or realm where the only regulation should be the prayer, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Here only mutual love and service should prevail. But then he does later add that for the sake of one's neighbor or one's obligations to some other person, a Christian can serve as a judge, use law in court to defend, guard, and protect, and so he does say, thus you are not forbidden to go to court and lodge a complaint against injustice or violence, so long as you don't have a false heart, but one that remains as patient as it was before, one that is doing this only to maintain the right and to avoid the wrong out of a genuine love for righteousness. So there seems to be, uh, you know, uh, there seems to be this instruction from Paul that says, while from my own example, and we hear from Luther too, the courts are useful when it comes to defending the Christian faith against the world, like in the comment in, in the situation you brought up, Pastor, but also when we're going up against unbelievers or to defend our neighbor or for the benefit of our neighbor. I still don't hear I still don't hear permission to go against a fellow Christian to court. What do you think? Well, um, I well, I think it's interest, rather interesting. Luther Luther does it very well. Uh, you know, it's interesting how how when Jesus says, "If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also." Uh, you know, the the reason perhaps why we we would not just allowing ourselves to be punching bags is because that same bully that is punching us might go out and harm our brother or our sister so or in Christ and so uh the the um the thing is is that that perhaps there has to be a uh, you know, a limit. I, I remember there was a, a my dear friend, uh, and I just called him today. He, he turned 68 years old today, and uh, he's he's also a pastor in Minnesota. And uh, he when he was in college, he he uh, was confronted by uh, a, a young, another young man who started punching him, and he and the, and the man struck him, and 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 he did not 
uh, respond or it didn't didn't strike him back. And then he struck him a second time, and then he put him in a wrestling hold. <laughs> in other words, to stop him from doing the crazy things that he was doing. There's there's right. kind of a limit uh, to uh, you know, and and, the, and a reasoning behind it. Um, in in other words, um, many times people uh, you know in disputes or going to court or whatever, they're trying to do something else. They're just trying to inflict harm. On, on someone and 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 it's and basically it's as christians you know we we belong to a higher uh authority we belong to a higher uh a reality in in the church and um you know that's that's kind of how we should uh you know basically allowing the lord to direct our actions um, but again, it, it's kind of like that shouldn't be the first resort. You know, uh, you know, we should always, you know, seek God's will and and um, try. And, and then I think it, it, as we will read further, it'll show us some more of, about the limits of doing this. Yeah, I I would still hold out there, um, even if it's in contrast to what others might think. I still hold that Paul is saying that. There really is no need for a genuine Christian to lay a lawsuit upon a genuine Christian. You can settle those things amongst yourselves, and to do so, especially for trivial things, really brings shame upon you, and it gives a black eye to your witness and to the church. He says in verse 7, to have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not just rather suffer wrong? Just be defrauded. Right. So there yeah. is this we're certainly not saying, you know, I mentioned Pastor uh, uh, John Green at the top of the show because the, the listener wrote in about him. But there's a phrase I, I got from him and he said, God calls us to be or Jesus calls us to be soft hearted, but not soft headed. And there huh. is something there is something to that. Right. There is limits to the levels of, uh, of abuse that we'll receive. But Paul is making it pretty clear that when it's about disputes between fellow Christians, really there's no place for the world to get involved. And that the default of the Christian who has been harmed is that if it gets to the point where you have to take them to court, then why not just be defrauded? Why not just suffer wrong? Um, but he, he does put limits on this as he goes forward, but but – it seems like the opportunities to go to court or or going to uh, going to the law in front of the world's courts he certainly does but whenever he did that it wasn't against other christians it was always against those who were harming the christian faith or harming him as he tried to spread the christian faith so it's like if you're dealing with the world then you can deal with them on their own court right we can't judge them within the church who are we to judge outsiders he says but if you're inside the church, then what has the world to do with us, to judge us? So there is this separation, this true separation of so-called church and state when it comes to how we settle disputes. Oh, absolutely. And I think uh, one thing about uh, our, at least the Lutheran understanding, of course, which is the biblical understanding of, of, uh, of our faith, uh, is that uh, there there is there is that distinction between church and state you know you 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 uh, really get into uh, the devil's territory when you allow uh you know those two those distinctions to be blurred or or in in which you when when in which the church uh is thought to have uh you know power of the power of the sword or or the power of of um compulsion you know you have to remember 
that uh, we are uh, that the world is part of the kingdom of power and the kingdom of of grace. Uh, the kingdom of grace, of course, is is the church. Uh, that that the Lord rules us uh, through word and sacrament, uh, and and among uh, you know believers gathered around the means of grace, and then there is the the kingdom of power, where God, of course, also reigns. But again, uh, that's not the 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 way in which that kingdom is run is not the way it is run in the kingdom of grace. But uh, but as you said, we're um, you know it. it it's it's where we should not use the the uh, you know the power of of the kingdom of power against uh, fellow members of the kingdom of grace. There are a little bit more. There is a little bit more teaching to this section with verses nine, ten, and eleven. I want to get those out there on the table because he brings in some examples of basically why you shouldn't be relying on the world to settle your disputes. And he gives some depictions of those who will not inherit the kingdom of God. Like basically, these are the people that you want to settle your disputes. At the same time, it could be very convicting to Christians who still find themselves participating in these things, especially in Corinth, where he flat out says some of you were this. So let's get on the table, verses 9, 10, and 11, and we'll be reading from the ESV. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Paul saying, brother, this isn't you anymore, and it's still them. Why go back to them? If, you've, if God has cleansed you from this behavior, why go to those who still revel in it in order to have your disputes judged? And this also starts to connect it back to the overarching context, which is, this guy who was involved in this incestuous relationship that they failed to judge. And the second half of this chapter is going to be more about, uh, you know, you guys think that all things are lawful. You're abusing Christian freedom, but the ways of the world are not compatible with the Christian life. So, yeah. So do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And he gives this list, a list that I think most people probably in their lives at one time or another could find themselves on. What do you think, Pastor? Yes, uh, you know, and, and, and it's really uh, sad that in our society, uh, in, in, in our nation and in the world, that there are some of these uh, uh, things that are, are, are enshrined in law, where, where people have a right to do them, at least in, in that type of society. Uh, but again, you know, as I said, it's important to keep the distinction between church and state. But uh, on the other hand, you know, people the coming to the church would say, well, uh, I have, have a right to uh, be married to a person of my same gender. Or, uh, you know, or even, you know, the, I think even more horrendous is where they want to try to destroy the, um, uh, the, the way God has created man and woman. You know, he created them male and female. 
and you have uh, the the secular society saying you cannot make those distinctions anymore, and and uh, so so in other words, the, the apostle saying when you when you're uh, suing each other like this, you are acting like uh, these people in the world that have no place in the kingdom of God. Yeah, you know, we look at our world today, and we sometimes fall into the error of thinking that these things are new, but they aren't. In Greco-Roman culture at this time, homosexuality would have been not only completely legal, but uh, permissible, accepted in culture. Uh, pedestry also, not to be too graphic, but men with uh, boys. And these things were part of growing up in that culture. And you add to that some of the more common sins of being thieves or just greedy for either power or money, drunkards, people who just dismiss the ways of God and revel in the ways of the world. But in Corinth at this time, it's important that we understand that it's not as though the society as a whole also thought these things were bad. What he's listing here are things that the society found completely normal and legal and acceptable. And it would have been odd for the Christians to step out and say, oh, I don't want to have anything to do with that. It would have been odd for the Christians to say, well, I'm going to settle my disputes between my brother Christians. I'm not going to take it to the court. Like, well, why? Why wouldn't you do that? And it would just as it would have been odd for Christians to go around saying there is only one true God. Christians were considered practically atheists because they didn't believe in the pantheon of Greek and Roman gods that were worshipped in all the temples and shrines that dotted the landscape. So there's so much about the Christian life that is just contrary to the ways of the world. Paul is laying it out here in very graphic terms. And now we have today the same thing. The world coming after uh, I wouldn't even say coming after Christians, the world just not caring about the influence of Christians on society, not caring about the will and ways of God, going after their own way. And then, as you said, codifying these things in law so that we now are required by our our governments and society to give into things that are not consistent with Christian belief. And so what do we do? Do we go to those people in lawsuits when we have disputes against you know one another? No, it's just not the place for that. Now, do we go and make use of our abilities and rights and our legal system to appeal and influence and vote and all that stuff? Yes, of course, right? Why wouldn't we? But we wouldn't go out there and utilize the services of the world to try to settle disputes within the church. So another practical idea is – you know, maybe like property, right? You know, who owns the building, the district, the synod, or the congregation? That's not as much as an issue in our synod, but I've heard it's been an issue before. So how do you settle those things? Well, going to courts, inconsistent with what the scriptures would say. If I have a problem with a fellow person that comes to church with me, even if it's something silly, maybe I have farmland next to his and we have a, a dispute over uh, grazing rights or something, or maybe property lines. You know, we might have to appeal to someone with more competence, like a, a service or someone, you know, someone who might come and help us get the lines appropriate. But would we take those people to court? I think Paul would say, you know what, whoever feels like they're the ones that are getting the short end of the stick, it isn't better just to take the short end of the stick. You know, sometimes being right is not worth destroying a relationship. 
Sometimes it's better to be wrong and maintain the relationship. But when it comes to the world, it, this is the soft-headed but not so, soft-hearted uh, but not soft-headed argument. When it comes to the world, we should and can use everything at our uh, at our at our ex- everything that we have available to us to defend the Christian faith and to defend our ability to to live that out as we want in our country. At least that's how I'm thinking. This is all off the cuff, you know. And, and you know, it's interesting, the, the last part there where it talks about holy baptism, it is it is the means of justification, uh, the means of regeneration. Uh, the, the Apostle Paul says, you know, at the end of Galatians, in Galatians 6, he, where he takes the pen in hand from his secretary, and he writes, uh, you know, and he does that, he will do that in this uh, letter to the, Rome, or to the uh, Corinthians, uh, where he says that, and neither circumcision or uncircumcision or circumcision matters but a new creation and and the apostles reminding us that we have been regenerated we have been reborn through holy baptism uh to be god's people and and we are we are you know some were such as you you know he, he lists off those uh, the sins you know very good law presentation obviously but but i mean uh you know well you know, don't don't be uh, pride yourself that you're better than everybody else or anybody else. You were uh, people like that before uh, you became believers, and uh, you know you you're you a new creation. Uh, none of this matters except a new creation, and 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 you are have been reborn in Christ. You're part of. You are a member of Christ, and so uh, shall one member of Christ. Uh, you know, harm another member of Christ. And but I, I think it's also important to say, I think I, I think I've heard that Luther said something that Christians are called to suffer rather than to fight. You know, in other words, uh, like you, you were suffering injustices or something. Sometimes it's it is uh, incumbent upon the Christian to suffer the injustice rather than resist and and to uh, reply in kind as the world would. He's talking about these legal issues, and in verse 11, he uses legal language to talk about their relationship with God, with that word justified, right? You've been released from uh, responsibility. You've been set free. You know, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So because of what Christ has done and by the Spirit of God, yes, you were washed, you were sanctified, but you were ruled, declared righteous. And I think that's not on accident when he's when he brings up this legal, you know, if you're going to court, someone's going to rule in your favor. Whenever you go to court, someone wins, someone loses. But in the court of God, he's looked down upon all of your sinful behavior and he has declared you justified you because of the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. And so if you think about that, and that's how he ends this one section anyway, if you think about that then are you really being defrauded in some of these situations? Are you really so righteous that you can't suffer a little wrong as you brought up? So it really puts things into perspective in the court of God, which is the only one that matters. He's made that clear in previous chapters. You have been declared righteous. You've been justified. So now go and to borrow some language from Jesus, go and try to collect that tiny little debt after God has erased from you this, you know, completely 
uh, life destroying forever debt. And now it's gone completely. Go ahead. Go ahead and try to collect that 20 bucks after you've been forgiven so much. Exactly. That's a wonderful um, allusion to that other passage of Scripture, the unmerciful servant, uh, you know, where, where he was forgiven billions of dollars and, and he can't he can't uh, uh, forgive a debt of about 20 bucks. <laughs> well, I mean, and, and, and really the the extent of it is just compared for uh, the reasons of uh, showing that as Christians, Everything should be so much different. We are a new creation yeah, because our Lord Jesus shed his blood to take away our sins. And, and we have a, a prospect of, you know, now we're spending maybe um, maybe 70 years in this life, but uh, we will spend an eternity with God and Christ. Absolutely. And, and lest we've burdened anyone's conscience out there in terms of maybe they're thinking about when they've had to go to court and maybe it was even against another Christian. It's this is mostly not about laying down a law that says, well, we need to have church courts and all of our all of our disputes need to be settled within that context. It's just more about in the future when you encounter problems with other Christians, the Bible consistently in other places, too, tells us that we have the abilities to settle those things on our own. We're a family, you know, and we can we can settle these disputes by putting ourselves under the authority of the Holy Scriptures. If you're dealing with someone who refuses to put themselves under the Holy Scriptures, refuses to hear the church, refuses to hear the advice or witness of other Christians, you know, now we're talking Matthew 18. There is a point at which they have rejected the ways of Christ, and therefore these types of things don't apply. Now, you know, now you treat them as an unbeliever and a tax collector, it was be said. So, you know, don't. Don't sit there and go, oh, I, I, I've sinned gravely because I had a lawsuit. Now, that's not really the point. The point is that we should be presenting the best witness to the world, and sometimes that's about showing the world that we're competent to settle disputes among ourselves. I think that's that's so precious and so important. Uh, you know, another thing, the difference between law and gospel comes in. Peter says to Jesus, how many times should I, uh, you know, forgive my brother if he sins against me up to seven times? Jesus says, I say not to you seven times or 70 times seven, because with the gospel, uh, there is no limit to God's forgiveness. You know, we're constantly, we sin much and, and daily deserve, or we daily sin much and indeed deserve nothing but punishment, as the Catechism says, but but God always forgives. Uh, there is no limit to his forgiveness. And and we should be uh, people that are motivated by the, well, we are motivated by the gospel if we're Christians. And, and the Apostle Paul is saying, you know, you guys are acting like you're not Christians here. When you're, when you're, uh, you know, you're doing, you're doing exactly what, uh, what people that uh, do not know Christ is doing. So, you know, should are my actions? And then you might ask this of yourself: Am I loving this brother whom I have a dispute with, or this sister with whom I have dispute? The Lord says that we are to love one another as He has loved us. All of our love flows from the love that Christ gave us. That's the gospel this morning. I'd like to thank my guest, the Reverend David Bosclair, pastor of Faith and Bethesda Lutheran Churches in Pine Lawn, Missouri. Thanks, Pastor, for being on the show, and thanks for rolling with the punches, even though we didn't have the right text for you. Oh, I'll let, um, praise praise the good Lord. Uh, you know, may the Lord bless you and your ministry and, and all, of, all of the people of God uh, as they serve Jesus. 
Thank you, Pastor, and thank you, too, for listening to Thy Strong Word. I've been your host, Pastor Phil Boo. Tune in Monday as we continue in 1 Corinthians with the second half of Chapter 6. Until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray, Father, keep us in Thy Strong Word.